Congregation, it looks like. <laughs> Our reading from God's Word today comes from the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. We're back in our series on the Gospel of John, and when the, the last sermon at the beginning of the serm, summer that we heard, uh, the Reverend Danny Clark gave on John 11 on the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. And this morning is not to uh, revisit, to unpack the, 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 the miracle itself, but the, re the reaction of Jesus Christ when he stands face to face with death, when he stands face to face at a grave, when he stands face to face with two women, Martha and Mary, in their suffering, in their anguish. And the response, the reaction of weeping. Now, 
the Gospel of John is written, the, the, the theme of the Gospel of John is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. In John chapter 20, verse 31, we read that these things are written, the Gospel, John's account, his narrative of the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. His life, his disciples, his miracles, these things are all contained in John's narrative that we might understand them, that we might believe. We might move from these things as a, just a story or a fairy tale, a myth. We might begin to doubt our doubts and move to acknowledge that it's truth. These things are written that you might believe. But then in believing, they would give us life as they take life in us. That they're more than simply cold factoids. They're more than just historical truths. More than just principles. But in believing and unpacking them in our life, we actually experience life from these truths. And that life comes from believing in these things. What will the difference be in our life today when we walk out the door in just a short while believing that Jesus wept? It's, it's called the shortest verse in all of the Bible. John 11, verse 35. For those of you that have a hard time with Bible memory and yet you understand its value, you can, this morning, you can begin with Bible memory with Jesus wept. It's two words, Jesus wept. And its street address is John eleven thirty-five. So you take 1 plus 1 plus 3 equals 5. John eleven thirty-five. So... If you know that it's true that there really was a man from God named Jesus and he really did weep, it's not just a fairy tale, you've moved from myth to belief. If you recognize, I mean, you moved from myth to truth. But if you really believe it, if you really look at that and say, I do believe that he wept, I do believe that it was not mechanical. I do believe that it wasn't merely emotional. There was something that drove him to weep. As you begin to see that this morning, I pray that Jesus weeping will give you life. For the big idea, the key idea in this passage is this, is that the love of Jesus is present. The love of Jesus is present. And it is, though it may be bad uh, grammar, it is presently present with us. Look here at John 11, verse 36. The Jews, in seeing him weeping, the, the, the grieving party, as they followed Mary and Martha, and they were there present at the graveside, as they see Jesus weeping, they they concluded, see how he loved him. But they were mistaken 
in using the past tense. Because Jesus never loved and stopped loving Lazarus. Jesus' love does not stop at suffering. Jesus' love does not stop at our worst circumstances. And the big idea this morning is is that Jesus' love is present with us in our trial. It's with us when we face death or death-like circumstances. The worst that can befall us or the worst tragedy in our life, Jesus is not absent. His love is present with us and He is present with us. It sounds simple, but if you believe that, then it will cause you to see that Jesus' love is not, Jesus' love will get you through. Jesus' love will allow you to face circumstances. You won't think that because of the circumstances, there is no love of Jesus. You'll think because of the love of Jesus, it doesn't matter the circumstances. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 put it this way. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation. In other words, he started this list of things. And he finally said, you know what? There's nothing. There's nothing in all creation. And there's nothing above creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in other words... Jesus and his love is present with us. There is nothing that we face alone. There is nothing that he would let us face alone. Now we can face things without him only in that we are unbelievers. Or we face things seemingly without him when as Christians we fail to draw life from this and we fail to to put our belief and our confidence and our faith in this. But Jesus would come and he would minister to Martha and Mary by his weeping indicating that I am with you. I understand. I love you. And I still love Lazarus. And I'm still with Lazarus even though he has faced death and he is dead. I am inseparable from Lazarus. If you look at your outline this morning, you'll see where we're going in that we're going to see, first of all, we're going to look at the reasons that Jesus was not weeping. Jesus was not weeping because he was delayed. He was not weeping because he was hindered. He was not, he was not leap, weeping because he was held up. Nor was he not weeping because he was hurt over Martha's theology or Mary's distrust. That they didn't have more faith. He wasn't weeping just like, how long am I with you? That was not it. He was not also weeping because he was helpless. He had the power of life and he will demonstrate this as his last miracle. And with with precision, this being his last miracle. There was a reason for this to be his last miracle. He was weeping 
because of his passion. It says that he was, if you look there in the scriptures, it says that he was, in verse 33, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The word is splatna. His, his guts, as it were. That's what splatna means, his guts. I mean, it's, it's his stomach. He was, he was moved. His insides, it, it moved him. He was troubled. But it wasn't because of helplessness. It was that because he, he loved Lazarus greatly. And he, he was suffering and he was weeping with those who were weeping. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. But also, he was weeping because he was present. He was there. He wasn't He wasn't at a great distance so that he could be indifferent to it, but he was on the scene. There are many times, I I find it, actually I find it very difficult to cry at a distance. But there are some of you that when I'm with you, and we we are talking about the suffering that you face, you begin to weep and I begin to weep. But when we're separated and we're not face to face, It's easier to be colder, as it were, or cooler, or calm, less troubled. But Jesus wept because he was there. He was there. He's so identified. He he has so attached himself to them and us by location. It's not that he's so distant in a heaven that he doesn't know the things that trouble me. He not only is with me, in me, through the Holy Spirit, but he suffers with me as I face the suffering, so I don't face it alone. And it moves him. Let's go back and let's rehearse this again in a little more detail. If you look and see that Jesus was not weeping because he was held up. Now let's just be honest. Many of us right now are hurt by what we perceive to be the delay of God. Why is God allowing this to continue Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God not showing up now before something happens? If He doesn't show up, this deal is off. This relationship is over. My health is gone. I'm on the street. Why doesn't God show up now? This is one thing, just a side road, this is one thing that tells me, again, that the Scriptures are true. Because if it was a man-made article, I mean, if it were a group of Christians and disciples, if, if, the, if the disciple John was writing this gospel simply to benefit Christianity, this text is too honest. This is too realistic. You'd wipe this out. You wouldn't have Martha saying, Lord, if you had not delayed, my brother would still be alive. That's too honest. We would would glorify Martha to have a a splendid faith. We would also wipe it out so that it doesn't make Jesus look bad. Because it says intentionally he delayed. He waited until he received word that that Lazarus was dead and laid away. He intentionally waited for three days. There was a Jewish belief that the Spirit hovered in the vicinity of the body for three days. And that after three days, 
then that spirit was evacuated and there could not be any resurrection. There could not be any restoration of life. And the Jews knew of, from the Old Testament, there were accounts of people who were raised from the dead. And so they believed in the resurrection, but they believed that only God or a great, great prophet empowered by God could raise the dead. They believed in the resurrection, but not after three days. Not even God, as it were, could raise someone after three days. But Jesus delayed. And we read in the Scripture that He delayed for a purpose. The purpose of His delay was for the glory of God. It harkens back to John 9 when we read about uh, the man born blind from birth. Did it happen because he was a sinner? Or did it happen because his parents were bad people? Is that why he had such tragic circumstances in his life? No, it happened so that when Christ comes, he might touch him, he might heal him. That sign would point out that this is verily, this is really God. And it's also a human being who has passion and tears and sympathies and can identify. And it happened in such a way so that these bad circumstances could point to a good God and He could receive glory. So the delay, it's not, Jesus is not weeping because He's wringing His hands and saying, I was late. Augustine says this. If you read back, uh, if you, you, we don't have this in your text, but in John 11, verse 3, it tells us that in verse 3, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Augustine on this text says, they did not say, come and come now. But they only said, Lord, behold, the one you love is ill. As if to say, it is enough that you know, for you are not one that loves and then abandons. In other words, they questioned his delay, but they clung fiercely in their tragedy to the fact that he loved them. And it was on the basis of that love that they sent for him. They didn't say, come, come now, come quick, do something. They simply said, the one that you love is ill, and now we will wait and we will trust, for we know that you will not act apart from that love. Anything that you do will be not as an act of rejection by your delay, not as abandonment, but we know that any action, if you do delay, it is still only because you love us. In other words, we hurt when we, when we feel that God is delaying. But what will calm the hurt is to realize that He has not abandoned us. He has not rejected us. And His delay is not a signal of a loss or a lack of His love. His delay is not that He's rejected me, that I'm getting what I deserve, or I'm, this is a consequence of something that I failed to do. His delay, His aid, His intervention, if it's delayed, is not a lack of His love. So he wasn't weeping over that. He also wasn't weeping over Martha's bad theology. If you look there in verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then skip to the end of that. Do you believe this? In other words, what's going on here is Martha's... I, she doesn't show that she clearly resents him. But Martha is feisty. She has faith that he's going to rise again. But here is Jesus, and he's holding out forward to her more than that. He's saying not simply faith in a resurrection, but faith in me. Do you believe in me, Martha? He doesn't chide her and say, wait a minute. If you believe in a resurrection on the last day, and if you believe that I am God, as she did that much earlier, if you believe I'm who I am, then you know that I can raise... He doesn't chide her. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of come down on her. He's not weeping here because he's just thinking about, oh, just these guys, when are they going to get it? No. But he takes this opportunity to say, not so much all the nuances and all the, the theology of the resurrection, but do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? And some of us this morning, some of us this morning in the situations where we would like to see new life, we would like to see a change, we'd like to see it resurrected, we'd like to see it turn around, we'd like, to, we'd like for Jesus to, and we know that he can do it, we know that he can do it. Why doesn't he change this thing? Why doesn't he change my marriage? Why doesn't he help me? Why doesn't he change the heart of my rebellious child? Why doesn't he change the, the circumstances that I'm facing right now with a difficult person or a job or help or an addiction? Why doesn't he give me new life right now? I know he can do it. And what Jesus is saying, do you believe in me? Not simply theology, but do you believe in me? And that calms Mary. And I, I love it that Jesus didn't miss this opportunity in her crisis to face to face, and I believe very sweetly and warmly, invite her to dedicate her heart to rest alone on Him again. To say, Jesus, I do believe in You. And that's enough. Lazarus is still in the grave. But right now, she's experiencing a resurrection, as it were, into new life and faith. And then also, it's not because he was helpless, though many would think that. Um, you know, the, Jesus Christ will, we know the end of the story, Jesus Christ will go on to resurrect him. And there would be many that would think that he's weeping, as the Jews did. He's weeping and he's wringing his hands, because, just shaking his head. There's just, if I had not delayed and... If, if we had just, if I'd just gotten here a little hurt, quicker, then maybe I would have been able to give him a potion or do something like that while there was at least still life. But now he's dead, 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 dead and gone. And I can't do anything about it. No, he's not weeping because he's helpless. We know that he has the very power of God. And we see it here at the end where he does not simply invite Lazarus to come forth. 
He doesn't do that. The text says that he stood, and the, the language is that he roared. He roared at the grave. He commanded Lazarus to come forth. Now how can I get life out of that? Once again, I found Augustine to be extremely helpful. And it's a little bit more lengthy. But listen, because I can't say it better than he says it. Let us hear that roar and rise again. How many are there in this audience who are crushed down under the weighty mass of some sinful habit? Got your attention? Perhaps some are hearing me to whom it may be said, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And they say, I cannot. Some others, it may be, are hearing me who are unclean and stained with lust and crimes, and to whom it is said, Refrain from such conduct that ye perish not. And they reply, I cannot give it up. I cannot give up my habit. O Lord, raise them again. How? How can we have this powerful Christ who says He is the resurrection and life in us? I am convinced that it's very simple, not complicated at all, by simply believing in Christ and believing that Christ places Christ inside of the believer. And where Christ is, there is life and new life indeed. Do you realize Christ never preached a funeral sermon? Never had one in his pocket. Nothing ever died except one big plant that he cursed. Nothing ever died in his presence. Seriously, I mean, the guy couldn't walk through a graveyard without people popping up. He died at the hour that he died. It said that the tombs in Jerusalem burst open and people walked back into town. That's the kind of power that he has. And when we believe that he is this walking life and he's walked in for those who have confessed their sins and received Christ as their Savior and their Lord, we're not only saved from sins past, but we're being healed and forgiven, and empowered with newness of life every day. He's constantly at work. And we realize that these circumstances, they are far and away outside of control. We cannot, stop, we cannot stop self-medicating with whatever fashion it takes. We can't. But we can say, Christ in me, rise me again, raise me again, give me new life here. Remove this. Heal me. Deliver me. By putting our faith right there again in Jesus Christ. He weeps for this to happen. He has put this incredible love upon us. And He will do it. He's not abandoned us in our circumstances. He is with us. And He wills it. And He will do it. Well, this morning... As you look to the last part, people say all the time, you know, you don't ever get through your outline. Well, I try to design the sermon and the message that we would always end up here. 
And so the last point is really a visual. It's here. There was one named Abraham in Genesis 22 that God wanted to know, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me so much that you're willing to give me the thing that you value most, your very own son? And Abraham said yes. And he took his son to an altar that he made on top of the mountain. And he raised a knife to plunge it into the heart of his son. You can read this story for yourself. And God told him and spoke to him before he plunged it into the heart of his son. By the way, we believe in Hebrews 11 that it gives a little side explanation to say that Abraham, who dearly, dearly loved his son, but who loved God more, believed that he was going to walk down that mountain with his son because that son was the promised son. And he believed that he was going to slay him and then God was going to resurrect him. Incredible story. But God stopped him and he said, Abraham, stop. I know. I know now you love me more than anything. And because of that, you would not even spare your son. Isaac, his son, was saved. Lazarus, by the great love of Jesus Christ, he was saved. He was delivered. You, me, By the love of Christ, we are saved. But Jesus wasn't saved. Jesus knew, and you can read about this earlier in John 11, when he said, I'm going to go now because Lazarus has died. Lazarus is asleep, which was a synonym for having having died. He said, I'm going to go. And the disciples said, whoa, 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 whoa. Earlier, the Jews were going to stone you. If you go there, and if you you go, you're just going to go right into their clutches. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that by raising Lazarus, he was lowering himself in that grave. He knew that by giving life to Lazarus, it would mean, it would mean risking his own life. And you'll see this in a couple of sermons to come, that the Jews, it's exactly what happened. As we read at the end of John 11 and then into John 12, they not only declare that they're going to kill and take the life of one man, Jesus Christ, but they add to that also the life of Lazarus. Jesus knew that if he was going to create new life, it was going to cost him his. And that is played out at this table. Because of his fierce love for us, he would have his body broken in our place, his blood shed in our place. He would be the one that the Father would not hear. He would be the one that the Father would not hold back the knife in order that we, by that fierce love, might have not only the promise of new life, but new life indeed. 
So when we face suffering and we face circumstances, even, not, even facing death itself, we know now that we will face it with Christ in us, with us, loving us to the very, very end, without end. And that is a great comfort. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as we prepare to come to this table, that you would first of all forgive us for ever doubting in our circumstances your love. Father, help us to now judge all circumstances by the presence of your love. And not to judge, Father, not to judge circumstances as an absence of your love. That you are with us and you are, you are working for the glory of your Son. You are working for the strengthening of our faith in your Son. You are working to, to bring about new life through our circumstances and to make us the sons and daughters that you have long designed for us to be. And now, Father, we ask that you would feed us from this table, that we might be strengthened for this newness of life that you are calling us to, and that in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and after